That's Give it. him a hand, would you? He works with the toughest nursery in the entire place. I only know that because I was a youth pastor for 22 years. So that's, that's a saint right there. Love, love teenagers. Love them. How many teenagers are in the room right now? Wow, Mike. Fantastic. So I didn't say act like teenagers. Although you're welcome. No, please don't. Okay. Actually, you can. They're actually more attentive in, uh, than most of us as adults. Well, if you have ADD, which I have. So good morning, everybody. Good morning. Is it a gorgeous day outside? Absolutely perfect. Just one of those days where you go outside and you can't even feel the air because it's like the perfect temperature. Just this tiny. It's like it reminds me of when you're in the morning when you when you know those mornings you wake up and the sheets are so soft on top of you you don't even want to move. You just want to stay there. And it's that's like the air outside. It's like whew. no. Listen, I just love that. All right. Well, you're going to need your notes. You're going to need a Bible. And what we've been doing, this is what we've been doing. Now, I'm praying, I really want this sermon to be fresh for this, for this service, for this group. Um, what we've been talking about is we've been looking at the person of Jesus, right? And how he perceives us, how he sees us, how he treats us. And in, in, and in particular, in regard to prayer. And this, this dialogue that we have with God, when we speak to God, we speak with God. One of the concepts that he mentions, it's almost in passing, it's after the Lord's Prayer, and we almost ignore it. So we, we have this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We, kingdom come, will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Forgive us our sins, lead us not into temptation. Wonderful prayer. Wonderful prayer. But there's a line after that that we miss. And sometimes it can throw us off. Maybe that's why we don't talk about it much. It says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So we're to bring this prayer to him, recognizing who he is, honoring him, and not only who he is, but where he is. Aligning our hearts with his, that our will and his will would be the same. Let your will be done on earth. What we're actually saying is, Father, let your will be done in and through me. That's really what we're saying. As it's already being done in heaven. In other words, may your will, which is in heaven, begin to careen down and hit me like a funnel, and almost like I'm conduit, Lord. May your will be done through me like this. So what he's doing is he's teaching us how to align our hearts with his. And so then when we speak of give us our day, our daily bread, today, Father, you are my provider, you are my provision, you are my manna. I'm not asking for tomorrow's bread. I am certainly thanking you for yesterday's bread. But may today you give me bread to live on. Today. Then he says something at the end. He goes, beseech your father, come before him, and know that your father knows what you need before you ask. And I think to myself, oh, well then, uh, why ask? Why pray? If he already knows it, why? Well, he just got done telling us for one thing. Our Father, you're in heaven. My Father, acknowledging him, honoring him. Aligning ourselves with him. That Jesus is speaking of honor. He's speaking of communion. He's speaking of fellowship. He's speaking of conversation. But more than that, he's speaking of the recognition that my heart is deceitful. Oh, stop. In Jeremiah, it says, my heart, our hearts are deceitful above all else. Yeah, think about that for a minute. Our heart is deceitful above all else, he says. All else seems to be a lot of stuff. Probably all stuff. My heart is deceitful. So you know what can happen because my heart is deceitful? I can think I know what what? What I need. I can think I know what I need. But because my heart is deceitful, I can be what? Wrong. And so as we then wrestle with the Father, as Jesus talks about asking, seeking, and knocking, you know what I don't think he's talking about when he says ask, seek, and knock, and you'll receive? You know what I, think he, you know what I don't think he's talking about? The answer to our prayer. You know what I think he is talking about? Access to his heart. That we find his heart, that we meet his heart, and that our hearts are aligned with his heart. 
so that when we do receive that which we've asked and seek and knocked, when we do see him, when we receive his presence, when we do come in contact with the heart of God, my heart begins to be aligned with his so that when I receive the answer that he already had in mind because he knows what I need before I ask, I will receive it for what he meant it. I will see it for what it is, a good gift from a good father who loves me and is all wise and always knows what is best and then gives me just what I need, just as I need it, and not, listen, not until I need it. And then when he does give it, he gives it, listen, he gives it perfectly. But it's hard for me to perceive that if my heart has deceived me. It's hard for me to receive that if my heart having been deceived is now not in line with his. It's hard for me to receive it if I perceive it as something that it ought not be or something I did not ask for or not what I asked for or somebody else got it and I didn't. Anybody feel that way? See, I think that's what Jesus is talking about. And so that's what we've been talking about as we look at prayer. What is, it, what is prayer? What is it to have our hearts actually aligned with God's? When our heart has deceived us and telling us what we need, but the Father already knew what we need, and him being good and best and wise and loving gives us what we need, but it's not what we thought we needed. So I had a friend of mine come in to see me this last week. Every, you just every friend just show up, and he shows up, and yeah, and I, can I just be really honest with you guys for a minute? Really honest? Really honest? Yeah, anyone here feel awkward like praying with somebody you know really well? Like your wife or your spouse or your kids? Anybody? Or I'm the only one. Okay, so I'll admit to it though. There are times when the people who are closest to me want, want like advice from me or to pray, want me to pray with them and I feel really awkward about it. Like a pit in my stomach. Like, ah. Uh, like, I don't, like, uh, we'll block this from the recording, but my, my brother and sister-in-law watch me preach every week in Maine. That makes me feel awkward. Chris is not listening right now, so that's cool. He's actually watching, he watched the, earlier this morning. But that makes me feel weird inside. I don't know why, maybe because I know him so well, or maybe because he knows so much about me, or maybe, I don't know. But I had my best friend come in and ask for advice this last week. 25 years we've been friends. And he's sitting in front of me, and I'm used to just being friends. And we talk about the Lord's stuff, and we talk. But this today, he, he needed to be pastored. And I'm like, oh, uh, it's, and I'm like, this is, I love you, man. And I'm glad we're friends, but this is awkward. You ever have that moment? I had it. And he's just got a lot of hurt in his life right now. Just a lot of stuff going on, a lot of brokenness, a lot of disappointment, a lot of, listen to me, a lot of unanswered prayer as he perceives it. A lot of unanswered prayer as he perceives it. And so he's really angry with God, really angry. Because I've prayed and you've not given. I've asked and you've not, I've not received. I asked for this and you gave me that. I keep, anybody? Anybody else feel that way sometimes? And I sat there and I listened to him and as I just prayed, Lord, help me over the awkwardness. He didn't help me over the awkwardness, but you know what he did do? He helped me through the awkwardness. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. He didn't help me, he didn't take the awkwardness away. He said, no, love him through the awkwardness. Mm -hmm. See, God doesn't always remove the thing. God does not always remove the thing. Instead, what he does is he gives you the power, the strength, the ability, the peace, to navigate the thing. And in fact, most of the time, you're gonna keep the thing. Most of the time, you're gonna keep the thing. You know why? Because he ain't gonna relieve you of it because he wants you to go through it. He wants to build your stamina, your strength. He wants to build your character. He wants to build your hope. So he's not gonna release you from the thing. He's gonna walk you through the thing. And that's what he did with me with my friend. He didn't get rid of the awkwardness. So I'm listening to him and I'm, I'm aching with him. I'm hurting with him because he's my friend. And he said to me, I, I keep asking for answers and I, he's not giving me any. And out of my mouth, a blurt, you ever just blurt something? And you're like, oh boy. You know, it came out like, and it was true. And it was the truth. But I don't know if it sounded as loving as I would have liked if it said, like that. And I just, this, this is what came out. Well, maybe you should stop asking for answers and start asking for perspective. Oh, and it, it hit me in the ear so hard, my eardrums went bling, you know, because they were ringing. Like, oh my goodness, what did I just say to this guy? 
And I thought for sure he was going to stand up and punch me in the mouth. Because this is what he did. You ready? I get, you guys have to be able to see this. This is what he did. He's sitting in his chair and he goes like this. He goes. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I didn't know. I've known him 25 years. I had no clue what this meant. Except I ducked. I went. And tears started flowing down his cheeks. And he looked at me, I was only a friend can, and he goes, when did you get so wise? I said, that wasn't me, dude. I said, that was the Holy Spirit, because I thought you were going to punch me. But what was the point? I think so, so many times, because our heart des desires something and tells us what we need, but it's in nature deceitful, that we pray and pray and pray for the answers we think we need and want. And God has already arranged it because he already knew what we needed. And the answers, it's not that so much that maybe he didn't answer, but maybe it was our inability to see it. And even if we'd seen it, it was our inability to perceive it as he meant it. And so I think sometimes as we ask, and it's okay to ask for answers, that's not a problem. But the problem might be that we ask persistently enough to allow our hearts to be aligned with his so that when the answer comes, we perceive it rightly. Especially if it's not the answer we anticipated or the answer that we wanted or the answer is actually painful or worse than the situation we find ourselves in. Because sometimes that happens. And that, whether we know it or not, is a good gift. It's an answer from a loving father who knew what we needed before we ever asked. See, this is really important because we're not omniscient. We don't know everything. We're, om we're not omnipresent. We're not everywhere. We are not all wise as somebody recently tweeted. But in fact, we have gaping holes in our wisdom. We are a people who are desperate to hear from our Father, and he is desperate for us to hear it as in the love, by the, hear the loving expression he intended it to be. Am I making sense? So we're gonna look at a couple passages. Grab the notes. The side you're gonna want first is the side that says suffering. And we'll see how far we get. And if you're not a veteran of Mosaic, you know that's a pipe dream that we'll get through our notes but they're not for naught. Please keep them, do with them. So it says suffering, the storms of life. We're gonna look at a passage briefly that we looked at two weeks ago. Temptation, trial, and testing will come. That's what life is. Jesus said flatly, he said, there will be trouble in this life. There will be trouble. And God will be there in the midst of it. In the midst of it. Doesn't say all the time that he'll get us out of it. He says he'll join me in it. He'll work me through it. And God cares. He cares so deeply. The question is, can we or will we rejoice in his caring in the midst of those things that he calls us to walk through, that he joins us in? How much does God care for each of us? He loves us in such a way as to desire for us to be the fullest, most complete, most mature version of ourselves that we can be. Let me say that again. He loves us so much, so deeply, so wonderfully, so graciously, that his great longing is that each one of us would be the complete and mature version of what it is he made us to be. And that is in the likeness of Christ without losing my identity at the same time. That I would remain Anthony, but that Anthony would be formed into the likeness of Jesus. That's wonderful. That's God's intention for us. And he will work us through whatever he needs to work us through to accomplish that thing. According, listen, according to each one of us, as he's made us, as he's made us, who he has made us, where he finds us, and what it is he's working us toward. And each one of us is unique to him in that way. Each one of us is unique to him in that way. So let's go to Mark, if you would, Mark 4, 
There, and there's really just one verse I'm fishing for. Uh, I went a little deeper in the, in the mark in the first service. If you want to do that, you can, you're welcome to go watch the 9 o'clock service to get a little deeper. This one, I don't feel inclined to do that. So we're just going to take a look at the story to be reminded of something. So Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. I'm going to pray while you guys look. Father, we thank you for your word. Just, Father, you are so faithful. You be honored, and may we just pay attention to you and give you our very best today. And just meet us where we are and who we are. And you know exactly what we need. So strike each one of us according to that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 35, it says that that day when evening came, he said to his, Jesus then said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. So you can imagine, here's, they're getting in the water, they're going across the sea, there are a couple of boats, all the disciples there, Jesus is in one of the boats. It says, verse 37 says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So they had started out on their journey across the lake, they're in the boats and the squall comes and the waves are crashing over the boats. It says that Jesus was in the stern of one of the boats, sleeping on a cushion. I can only imagine him just kind of curled up in the fetal position with his head on his hands like this. Little drool right down the side of his face. Exhausted from the day's ministry. Lulled to sleep by the early lapping of the waves. He finds a cushion at the stern of the boat and he curls up. He says good evening to his father and he drifts off. As the boat is drifting, Jesus drifts with it. Then it says that a furious squall came. And as he's laying on the cushion, the disciples cry out. So Jesus was with them in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, look what it says. Don't you care? Don't you care that we drown? Don't you care? You're here sleeping. You're asleep. You're on a cushion. You're all, and we're, wah! Don't you care? He got up and he, re I love this. Look what it says. He rebuked the what? He rebuked the disciples for their fear. Is that what it says? He rebuked the disciples for waking him up. Is that what, he, is that what it says? Hmm. He rebuked everything because he was mad because he didn't want to be awakened. Is that what it says? No, it says he rebuked the wind. And said to the waves, quiet, be still. It says, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. I love quiet, be still. I love it for a couple of reasons. One is it reveals the power of our God over nature. But the other thing it does is it shows the care of our God over our hearts. Because as much as he was saying, quiet, be still to the wind and the waves, he was also saying, quiet, be still to the hearts and the souls of the men. It's okay. Shh. It's okay. The funny thing is the wind and the waves received the hand of peace. Look what it goes on to say. He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Look what it says next. It says, the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now, it's interesting. He did deliver them from the what? From the storm, the physical storm that was around them. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't take them out of the boat. He didn't get out of the boat and leave them. He left them in the boat out on the water. In other words, the journey still had to be accomplished. There was still more to be done. He didn't just rescue them and stick them on the shore. But they remained on the boat. He remained there with them. He didn't get up and walk away. He didn't just go to the other side and say, I'll meet you there. He didn't say, listen, I've had it with you guys. I'll see you in a minute. He remained there with them. He spoke to the wind and the waves. They were quiet. The disciples remained in the boat. Look what it goes on to say now. He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. That when the, then the wind died down and was completely calm. He then said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? 
Why are you so afraid? Do you still have so little faith? Or another version says, where is your faith? Where is it? Where's your faith? Look at verse 41. It says they were what? They were still terrified. In other words, even though Jesus was with them and he calmed the outside storm, he remained with them, the journey continued, and they still remained what? Afraid. Now, whether it's fear of what they had just experienced, whether it was fear of seeing the, the exhibition of Jesus' power, whether it was a combination of the two, what we see is that the hearts were still pounding. There was still fear. There was still something that needed to be done. Jesus did not release them. It's interesting. You know what he didn't go on to say? You know what? Oh, that miracle only worked halfway. Hold it, guys. Settle down. It's all right. He didn't then touch each one of their hearts and remove their terror. He didn't, he didn't in, in their fear, he didn't then place new faith or more faith in them. He just acknowledged it and helped them recognize it and then challenged them to consider where it might be. And then what? And then he just stayed. You ever been in a circumstance where, where you're, you're afraid and the circumstance begin to die down a little bit, but your heart just doesn't seem to want to and you're still wondering where God is in it and, and there's and you prayed that it would be gone, but it's still, that's exactly what's happening here. He didn't release them from their fear. Instead, he, listen, instead he remained there with them in their fear. Instead, he stayed beside them through the fear. Instead, why? Because he wanted to build something in them. It wasn't, it would be ineffective for him to just draw it out. He wanted to build their faith. He wanted to build their trust. He wanted to do, work them through this. And so it is with us. So he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Where's your faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now turn to John chapter 21 if you would. Now what I want us to see is this, as you transition over, this is two books over, so we're in Mark, now you go past Luke and into John, right? And we're gonna be in chapter 21. What I want us to see here is this, There's a, there are two concepts I want us to grasp. First and foremost, that God so loved the world he so loved the world that he gave his only son. He so loved the world, the all-encompassing global group of peoples, his creation. He so loved the world that whoever would believe and whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. In that beautiful statement are two things that I want us to understand. First and foremost, that he loves the world, and the second is that he loves each one of us. You see, the macro in his desire to draw all men to himself. And you see the micro in that he desires to draw the single heart to himself. When we look at this first story in Mark, we see the macro, we see Jesus over all of creation, we see the men around him and he's, he's quelling, he's showing his power, he's quelling the nature around him and, and showing his dominion. And then he's drawing the hearts of the men to himself. This passage, on the other hand, is not that. This passage is speaking right to the heart of each one of us. This passage is when he's concentrating on you, on me. And he's saying to us, I know you, and I know you by name, and I know your circumstances, and I know what you've been through. I know where you're going, and I know how you feel about it. And I'm going to meet you in it. John 21, you ready? <sighs> We're going to start at the first verse, which wasn't my intention. But this morning I realized, we, to keep it in context, we had to do it. And then... We'll finish, we will finish this next week. We will, I have to. Okay, so here we go. Now, starting verse now, let's set this up. This story is after Jesus' resurrection. And he'd, 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 ra he'd been raised from the dead and he had shown up to see the apostles two, other, two previous times. This occurs after, obviously, the crucifixion, his trial before that, and his time with his disciples before that. In the midst of all of this, Peter, who had gone back and forth with Jesus throughout the end of his ministry, Peter 
is, uh, is challenged by Jesus in regard to his loyalty. And Jesus challenges him and tells him, listen, you are gonna deny me three times. To which Peter says, absolutely not. And so when Jesus is on trial and Peter sneaks into the courtyard and he's there warming himself among the people and they begin to see that he's a Galilean and not only was he a Galilean, but he had been with Jesus, Peter adamantly denies that he knows Jesus. And the second time he was even more adamant. And the third time he said he cursed himself. He was, so, he was so distraught, he was so desirous to separate himself from Jesus and what was occurring that he actually cursed. And he said, I know nothing about this man. And it says that as he did this the third time, a cock crowed, which was Jesus' prediction, that before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. When that happened, it says that Peter, remembering what, it, what, what Jesus had said and realizing what he had done, wept so bitterly that in the Greek, the weepings began in his bowels, in the deepest part of who he was, and it began to wrench him out. That he wept so violently that it was his entire person it just, blah, blah. Jesus is go, it goes on and he's crucified. He's raised from the dead and Peter sees him now twice. Let's start the passage. Go to verse one. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Notice the first person mentioned. Who is it? Simon Peter. He's seen him twice since he denied him. Two times. You ever hurt somebody? I mean, really hurt somebody? Hurt somebody so badly that it just, it just, it just, it just wrecks you on the inside? And you've delayed fixing it, and the longer you delay, the deeper seated it becomes. And the more deeply seated it becomes, the more difficult it is to even face the idea of repairing the relationship. Anybody ever been there? You ever then see that person at the grocery store? Anybody? 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 Thank you, Reese. me too. And what happens when you see him at the grocery store? I was going for cereal, but toilet paper looks really good, <laughs> right? You go, you, you see him, you go like this, you go, oh, oh. <laughs> and you go to the other aisle, anything to escape this moment. And it just rises up in you and you, you feel it and you feel the shame and you feel, you're, you're just disgusted and you ah, right? You don't wanna face this moment, you don't wanna, you don't, especially, no. I want us to think about something for a minute. Peter denied Jesus three times. He's now seen him twice. You know what Jesus hasn't done with him yet? Address it. Can you imagine at first the elation of Peter knowing that Jesus was raised from the dead and then remembering what it was he had done? You know that moment where you go, ah, oh, hey, hey. And you just kind of move to the back. Can you imagine how Jesus must have looked, or Peter must have looked up and looked at Jesus and didn't dare meet his eyes? And how the conversation must be going on in his head? And what he wished he could say but couldn't? I wish he could hear, but didn't. Twice. Twice. See, I can't imagine what must have been going on in Peter's heart. I can't imagine what he must have felt when Jesus saw him and he saw Jesus and he didn't even dare look up. It's important that we see that his name is mentioned first here. Because it's important for us to know that Jesus remembered 
and chose to let it linger. Jesus remembered what Peter had done and chose to let it linger. Now we might ask why, and I don't know that we have the answer, but I would take into consideration a couple things that I know are true in my own heart. One, I'm just not willing or able or ready. Maybe I have not yet learned loyalty or strength or fortitude. Maybe I had yet to learn the appreciation of the value of friendship or devotion or loyalty. Maybe my love wasn't deep enough yet because the pain hadn't seared me deeply enough yet. Maybe I just couldn't forgive myself or my shame. Anybody ever feel that way? See, for some reason, Jesus let it linger. That I'm sure that Peter said to himself on more than one occasion, golly, I wish I could just, I wish I could just say I'm sorry. I wish he would just, I wish I would, I, I, I wish this were over. So he goes on, look what it says. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. Why is that significant? One, he's a fisherman. But two, what was fishing for Peter? My guess, it's his hiding place. It's my, my guess, it's the place he goes to get solace. My guess is that's where he goes to forget about life and troubles. My guess is that's just, it's what he knows. And it soothes him. I'm, gonna, I'm going fishing. So what do friends do when they're with somebody who's all busted up? They go, what? What do they do? Okay, we'll go with you. We'll go. We'll go. Look what it says. Afterward, Jesus appeared again unto his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and it happened that all these guys were hanging out, and Peter said, I'm going to go fish in verse 3. And so they all said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught what? Nothing. You know what's significant about this? This is where Peter found his significance and his value. This is where Peter had his person built up. This is what Peter knew. This is where he would go. This is what would bring his heart comfort and peace. And yet they fished all night, and what did it come to? Nothing. Can you imagine now, Peter, went to this place that he knows so well, went to this place that makes him feel at home, went to this place that, that somehow helps him feel more like himself. And he fails. And there's nothing to be had. <coughs> See, I think that's important because I think we all have those things we go to, those things we hide in, those things we try to somehow heal ourselves or find some solace or hide from our issues. I think we all have those places where we fish, whether it's a movie or a book or a mowing the lawn or another relationship. See, Peter said, was with his friends, he says, I'm going fishing. He didn't say, let's go fishing. No, he said, I'm going to go fishing. That tells us what's in Peter's heart. The other guys who see it said, we'll go with you. They didn't say, hey, yeah, let's go fishing. They said, we'll go with you. We're, we're seeing now the pieces of the relationship. They go out and it says a fish all night and then he makes sure we understand that nothing, they caught nothing. We can imagine now the emptiness of Peter and that nothing is working and his friends can't console him and he doesn't know what to do. I love the fact that this story is actually about Jesus and Peter. Watch what it goes on. Look, watch. It says, we'll go with you, they say. So they went out and got into the boat. And when they, when that night, they, and that night they caught nothing. Verse four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Isn't that awesome that he didn't let them know who it was? And they couldn't tell. He's just standing on the shore going, hey guys, hey, hey, hey. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize who it was. And Jesus called out to him, friend, have you any fish? Haven't you got any fish? I love that. He didn't say, how'd the fishing go? Or how many fish did you get? He goes, haven't you got any? Like he knows. 
And he knows what Peter was doing. And he knows what the guys were trying to do for him. And he knows what fishing was supposed to do. Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. All right. When they did, they were unable. Now look, this is really important. Watch this. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in. When they were willing, they didn't even know who he was, but when they, did, when they just said, okay, and they threw their net in, it says that they were, the haul was so big, they couldn't bring it on the boat. They could not lift it. There's a bunch of these guys out there. There are like eight of them. That's a lot of fish. And they're trying to pull it in, and they can't. See, sometimes when the stuff we rely on doesn't work, when we finally have the Holy Spirit whisper something, and he doesn't even tell us who he is. He just whispers something, and we go, mm, okay. And we throw the net in one more time. Something might happen. Watch. He said, throw your, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. This is significant. Watch. Then the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Watch. Then the disciple whom, the Jesus, who, who, whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon and Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat. Think about that for a minute. Have you ever hurt somebody so bad and when the opportunity might arise, you just go right just over the top? Like, oh man, yeah, oh no, hey, it's, it's Jesus. Oh, oh, hey, I'm here, hey. He's just over the top. I'm gonna show him that I do, I, I didn't mean it. I somehow, oh, cut, hey, it's him, look, oh, I'll see you over there. But it gets better. You ever feel that way? You just go over the top trying to fix something? Instead of actually facing the situation, you just kind of go over the top and say, you know, you know, hey, you ever do that? Maybe I'm the only idiot. Okay, here we go. So here we go, me and Pete. Put your glasses on right side up. Okay. So then, verse seven. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that is the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. I'm out of shape. And he jumped into the water. Woo! The other disciple. The other disciples followed the boat, towing the net full of fish. Now think about this. There were so many fish they couldn't, I could just imagine just, the oars just, oh my goodness. Who's this guy who told us to, oh, look what he's going to say. Do not let me do full body aerobics anymore. Stop it. Oh, what is it? The more muscles you use, the more calories you burn, right? Yeah, too many. Okay, so here we go. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net, the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning in coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus was there, and he already had what they needed in abundance. It was there the whole time. His care for them, his provision for them, quietly. He didn't even let them know it was him. Gets better, watch. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. Bring it with you. Simon, Peter, climbed aboard. Isn't it cool that it's Pete? Now he runs over to him. Now look what he does now. Simon, Peter, climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. What? Eight guys couldn't pull this by themselves. You think Peter wasn't trying to impress somebody? Watch this. And he's just pulling the thing up the shore. See, Jesus, we got fish. We got fish. Isn't it? Oh, Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. 153, don't you love that number? 153 of them. 
But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, come and have breakfast. Stop. Now you're in that relationship and it's broken. And every time you see them, you wanna make it right. But something in you doesn't let you. And your great fear is that it will never be reconciled. It'll never be restored. They will never forgive me. I can't make it up. Everything I do is to try to impress them. And the more I try, the worse it gets. What does a meal taste like at that moment? Can you even taste the food? If you can get it in your mouth at all? And then try to swallow it without water? Yet Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast with me. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared now ask who he was, for they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the tent. And it lingers. Until. Verse 13. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to whom? Jesus said to who? As they were eating, Jesus said to Peter. This is a really important moment because this is when he speaks to the soul of each of us. Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Do you remember us? I remember you. Do you love me more than these? Some commentators think that perhaps Jesus was pointing at the boat and the net and the rigging. And maybe so. Because it points back to to Peter's phrase at the beginning of the story. I'm gonna go fishing. I'm gonna go hide. I'm gonna go do what I know. I'm gonna go do the thing that tries to make me feel better. Others think it perhaps is the disciples, his brethren, who supported him in going. They said, we'll go with you, Pete. We'll go with you. But regardless, the point Jesus is making is I know you denied me, and you know you denied me. But my love for you has never waned. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this? When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Can you imagine the release in his heart? Can you imagine this moment as it began to bubble up? Can you imagine this moment that Jesus finally spoken to him and has said to him, Peter, yes, Lord, yes, yes, you know, you know, what a relief. I don't have to make, I don't have to make the first move. I don't have to go to the other aisle anymore. I can now look at, yes, of course I love you. Then feed my lambs. Not only do I want to make sure you know my love for you has not waned, not only do I want you to know that your position with me has not changed, I want you to know that I love you, I know you love me, and what I have for you is still there for you. Feed my, feed my lambs. Take care of my flock. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I thought this was done. Yes, I do love you. Then care for my sheep. Join me in the work. Be part of what I'm doing. You, Peter, rock next to the cornerstone. I will build my church on you. Be with me. Take care of my sheep. And a third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter's hurt. 
Jesus, I thought this was done. I told you I love you. I told you I love you twice. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know the depth of my heart. You know who I am. You know my sorrow. You've seen my pain. Yes, Lord, of course I love you. And Jesus just, feed my sheep. Join me in the work. I tell you the truth. This is where it gets real. You ready? Band, go ahead and get in place. Please don't be distracted by their movement. Read with me if you would. Verse 18. I tell you the truth. He's speaking to Peter now. Peter needed to know Jesus' love for him. Peter needed to know that he had been forgiven. Peter needed to know that Jesus' love had never waned for him. Peter needed to know that his position with Jesus was, was, was steadfast and that Jesus was steadfast. And Peter needed to know this. You know why? Because now Jesus was going to tell him the truth. Earlier, he had said to the disciples, there will be trouble in this world. Look what it says. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Look at the next line. Jesus, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Stop. Our lives are a process of dying. That as we come to life in Christ, he calls a part of us to die with him. That we may now enter a further and deeper and richer portion of the life of Christ in us. And he is saying to Peter, I have restored you. I have forgiven you. I love you. My love for you has never waned. I remember your name. I know your name. And I've called you to my side. And I want you to know all of this because there's truth to be had. When you were younger, you could do anything you want. But when you're older, they will take you and they will kill you for me because of my name. Each one of us restored to Jesus will have whispered in our ear, there will be things that you will experience that you're going to need to be assured of the love I have for you, the forgiveness I've given you, the restoration to me in my leading. Let's finish this. And this is where prayer comes in. Are you ready? It says, verse 19, it says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, would bring glory to God. Then he said to him, what? You follow me. You follow me. Now remember, I've told you this before. We love the red letters. They speak to us. But we gotta love the black letters because they speak for us. Look at the next phrase. You ready? When Peter saw him, he asked the Lord. When Peter turned and saw that the disciple, verse 20, I'm sorry. When Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following, Peter asked him, what did he ask him? Lord, what about him? What about him? Have you ever prayed something and the Lord's not granted you what you thought you should get, but the person next to you got it? Have you ever prayed that you wouldn't get something and the person next to you didn't? Have you ever thought, Lord, this is what I, but it didn't come? Have you ever been in a situation that nobody else seems to be in and you go, why me? This is Peter. And guess who he saw? The disciple Jesus loved. Well, that makes it better. Get it? The disciple Jesus loved. That guy, his favorite. What about him? What did Jesus say? I love Jesus' answer. Look what he says. Look what he says. So when Peter saw the disciple Jesus loved, he said, well, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? What is that to you? 
You follow me. Mm. You know, there are going to be moments in our lives when we walk with Jesus and he has spent some time making sure that he knows our name, that we know he knows our name, that he sees where we are, that he loves us, and that he gives us what it is that we will be and do and where it is we're going to go. You know what? We're going to look at other people and go, what about them? You know what he's going to say to you? What's that to you? You follow me. Now that could be rude, couldn't it? Except you know what that's based in? Our Father being good. Our Father being loving. Our Father being wise. Our Father being omniscient and omnipresent. Our Father knowing what is best for me all the time. And and he knows what I need before I ask. And he gives it to me just in time. Just the way I need and not until I need it. And you know what he's gonna say while I'm waiting and I see somebody else get it? And I go, well, what about her? Well, what's that to you? I love her the way Laura needs to be loved. You follow me. I love Mark the way Mark needs to be loved. You follow me. I love Ben the way Ben needs to be loved. You follow me. I love Joey the way Joey needs to be loved. You follow me. And I'm gonna love you the way I know you need to be loved. Follow me. We'll finish this up next week. Let's stand and sing. Lord, may we journey through this coming week with the confidence that you know our names. And you know right where we are. You know who we are. And you know what we need even before we ask you. So Lord, guide us into the asking and the seeking and knocking as our hearts can so easily deceive us. And help us to give you permission this week to line our hearts with yours. Your will with your will. To be convinced in our minds that you are good and loving and wise and know what's best. And that when you give, you give just in time just the right thing in just the right way for just the right reasons. And you graciously, lovingly, and faithfully cater that to the very needs of each one of us. Each and all. One with you and all together. Guide us as we go this week. Restore us to your grace. Not that we've lost your grace, but sometimes we've lost perspective of your grace. So open our eyes to see what is true, what is right, what is lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Things that are the reflection of the very heart to which we've been invited. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week, guys. Give somebody a hug on the way out. We'll see you next week.